Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast. I'm your host, Saritha Viswasam. Thanks for joining us. Today, we look into the world of cybercrime, a form of criminal activity that involves computers and networks to execute its operation. This is the first of a two-part series delving into the impact of cybercrime, where we look at it from both an Australian and international perspective. Our guest joining us in this episode is based in Singapore. We speak to Mr. Doug Witchy, Assistant Director of the Cybercrime Threat Response for the International Criminal Police Organization, commonly known as Interpol. We discuss the impact of cybercrime on an international scale, Interpol's Wash Your Cyber Hands campaign, and how the COVID-19 pandemic has seen cybercriminals ramp up their operations. Before we continue to keep up to date with all future Crime Stoppers Victoria podcasts, hit the follow or subscribe button on your podcast player. Hope you enjoy our discussion with Mr. Doug Witchy. Thanks for joining us today on the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast, Doug. It's great to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me. Fantastic. Well, uh, yeah, there's quite a number of uh, things to discuss today, and we certainly look forward to getting into it all. So to start with, can you please uh, provide a bit of a background about yourself and uh, how um, your career has evolved to where you are now working at Interpol? No worries. Look, uh, um, I, I originally started, uh, I was born and bred in Melbourne, actually, uh, in the eastern suburbs, went to school. Uh, and I ended up uh, joining the uh, Victorian Police, and I was with Victoria Police for about 20 years before transitioning across to the Federal Police. Uh, from the Federal Police uh, in 2018, I was seconded to Interpol uh, here in the Singapore office, and uh, and I've been working within the Cybercrime Division here uh, in Singapore since uh, February this year. Oh, nice. And uh, how are you finding uh, being in the new surroundings of Singapore and, uh, and, and everything that comes with uh, being part of Asia? Well, you know, look, our family, I guess, has been pretty much linked to Asia. My father was born in China. My grandfather was born in Japan. But um, I think, uh, you know, I, I like the environment. Um, Singapore's uh, quite a pleasant place to live. 
um, 30 degrees every day of the year, no matter what the uh, what the other weather's doing. But, uh, you know, it's a very pleasant and comfortable place to live. And I'm very privileged and honoured to be representing Australia in Interpol uh, here in Singapore. Well, that, that's fantastic. And, uh, and yeah, the, the weather, um, I'm sure, is uh, quite nice to wake up to every day. Yeah, it's not too bad. You get the you keep the air conditioner on most days. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So uh, let's uh, first uh, talk about Interpol and exactly what what it does and uh, and its role in um, in global protection. Sure. I mean, uh, Interpol is a, a a global law enforcement or policing group. Uh, it's a it's a collective of 194 member countries around the world. And Interpol primarily is the communications hub and network of data and information sharing between those law enforcement agencies with the purpose of obviously reducing crime and obviously trying to disrupt uh, criminal activities and behaviours. So we work fairly closely with 194 member countries. Uh, we're, we're, um, we, we work under uh, articles of, of association primarily, uh, so that primary drives our business. Uh, and, and we serve that 194 member countries primarily. So obviously Australia being one of those member countries. And in terms of your communication with the respective countries, uh, how does that work? We have a, uh, we have uh, N- what's called NCBs, a, a natural, uh, uh, national central bureaus in each member country, and obviously our communications are primary linked in there. So the NCB for Australia is based in Canberra. It sits within the AFP headquarters in Canberra, but it obviously also networks to the state and territory law enforcement, including Victoria Police. Uh, so when there's issues and inquiries or information needed from another country, you can con- uh, local members can contact the NCB in Canberra, and that will communicate into Interpol uh, and through the I-24-7 network and be able to facilitate facilitate that, uh, that inquiry and subsequent results back to the uh, Victorian police. Mm, oh, wow, that's, that's quite interesting. So you've been at Interpol in Singapore since around 2018. Yes. How have you found your, uh, your involvement with the organisation and, and interaction with Australia in particular over this time? Oh, look, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a real privilege to work uh, on a global perspective and a global stage. Uh, representing Australian law enforcement. I think it's important that uh, we do have a conduit into, uh, you know, a, a organisation such as Interpol uh, because a lot of our problems now are transnational and uh, and, and quite complex, uh, particularly around issues of jurisdiction and the like. Uh, the relationship with Australia is extremely positive. Uh, we, we work and communicate with Australia on a daily basis uh, from Interpol, um, and if it's and it, on, on a range of different crime thematics and issues, um, and cyber crime is obviously a significant one at the moment. Yeah, well, um, that's what um, yeah, we're, we're mainly here to talk about today, and it'll certainly be great to learn from you. So the hashtag Wash Your Cyber Hands campaign started back in May. Yes. Uh, can you tell us a bit about the campaign and uh, what exactly it seeks to accomplish? Sure. Look, uh, I mean, the Wash Your Cyber Hands obviously stemmed out of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, um, and when we were starting to put a communication strategy together around the risks and threats that we're seeing around cybercrime and what we're seeing primarily driven out of COVID-19, um, we, we, we came up with the concept of wash your uh, cyber hands. 
uh, one of our one of our intelligent and smart people suggested it um, because that was a, a tagline for COVID nineteen, making sure you washed your hands. So washing your cyber hands is really about having good cyber hygiene around all your activities online, particularly in such a, a changing environment um, online at the moment. And what you know what we're seeing really around cyber crime is you know we've almost got a perfect storm. Um, it, a lot more users are coming online. A lot more businesses are coming online. They're not as they're, they're not as um, aware. That they're, they're a bit more naive, and it just provides uh, cyber crime to use. Uh, obviously, the health crisis as as a significant lure, uh, and 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 prey on the fears of many globally to be able to exploit them through cyber crime. So, you know, it's it's really been a, a challenging environment, and on top of that. The workforce has obviously moved home. Uh, a lot more vulnerabilities are presented for organisations now, and and people, um, you know, and people, the naivety of some people, particularly new users, uh, mean that they can potentially be exploited a lot more. Um, and 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 obviously they have been, and there's been a lot of fraud and cyber scams and and a lot of cyber crime around at the time. So wash your cyber um, wash your cyber hams came about around what we were seeing through the cyber threat response capability, uh, and it was issues around um, the malicious domains. Uh, we saw a lot more malicious domains focused around. COVID-19, um, the malware and ransomware, particularly targeted on hospitals and critical infrastructure that were providing support for COVID-19. Uh, obviously, the online scams and phishings, which, uh, which I meant, mentioned earlier, uh, you know, a, a whole range of raft of uh, capabilities, a lot around, um, you know, just masks and hand sanitizers and trying to get access to that type of capability and people were trying to exploit those other things. And obviously uh, the misinformation and the fake news that the internet provides opportunities to spread a message that might not necessarily be true to a to an audience of, um, of eager people wanting to try to learn more about uh, COVID-19. Mm. Well, it's interesting uh, the the references you've given to examples of of cyber criminal activity. Given the World Health Organization declared the COVID nineteen outbreak on March eleven as a pandemic, uh, and really, wash your cyber hands came about in May. What can you say about the dynamic nature of these cyber criminals and how quickly they're able to execute such a such tricks on the public? Well, I think um, that they're. I mean, there's a number of issues there. It's, it's, it, it's. I guess they're creative in in relation to how they're marketing. COVID nineteen provides um, probably the uh, biggest lure, uh, cyber lure that we've ever seen, uh, ever. Uh, it's, uh, it, uh, you know, it obviously distills a, a certain um, a fear in some people, but you know, obviously an interest in others around uh, what's going on around the world around COVID nineteen. So they try to exploit those types of uh, those types of fears and anxieties or needs to know in such a way and, and quite creative ways at times to obviously try to lure people into um, activities, interests or providing information that they can potentially on-sell or exploit. I think for us it's, it's, it's they're, they're quite capable but the other thing too is they have volume 
And, and what that means is they can develop a scam. They can put that scam out to millions of people and it really only needs, uh, you know, a couple of dozen people to start to obviously ingratiate themselves into that scheme and they start to get a return on investment. So for them, it's uh, it's quite profitable. It's quite lucrative. Uh, they can develop code that they can push to millions uh, and uh, really they just uh, need a number of people to be, I guess, sucked in or drawn into the scam and uh, they, they're starting to make money. So, um, and that's uh, that's where the risks are for us. Okay. Yeah. Well, what can you suggest to the public to uh, keep an eye out for where they might feel a COVID uh, email or, or or whatever message they've they've communicated is untrustworthy? Well, I think um, you should always sort of check. Um, check the hyperlinks that are provided to you to make sure that they're legitimate. Uh, if you hover your mouse over that hyperlink, you get a, a, a pop-up box that obviously shows the hyperlink and the address. If that doesn't coincide with the hyperlink that you're pressing on, it's obviously been it's obviously been forged in such a way and it could be suspicious. So I think what we need to, is people just to sort of think about things. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Uh, you know, if it's if you feel suspicious in any way, just don't bother uh, and, and, and try to make other contact or amendments. If you drive the emails to a person rather than hidden hyperlinks, that's probably a better place to be. And if you're sending large amounts of money, try to confirm the, the requirements for money of that description with a telephone call, although there are risks associated with that. But try to sort of do your due diligence and checks and inquiries to make sure it is legitimate because, um, you know, there's lots of ways that people can get through these processes. Uh, and, and really, there's a lot of activities that are sort of staged through the internet, whether it's um, um, false um, competitions, the like, to, with a view of trying to collect as much private information as they possibly can so they can subsequently utilise and exploit that later on. Mm, well, some really good advice there, Doug. As far as the uh, nature of the communication by these criminals, with the public, are there certain... Um, what are the certain types of promotions, if you like, that these cyber criminals use in the COVID world? Oh, well, look, um, you know, we've seen a, a whole raft of different um, um, activities uh, from cyber criminals, whether they're um, what's called spoofing a, a website, a legitimate website, um, linking into a range of legitimate websites that link you into another another service. So it, it actually takes you away from something you might be inquiring on to another service and um, asks you to start to enter some information. They offer things like uh, free competitions, uh, just sign up for a free competition, and each time you're parting away with a little piece of information that they start to use and build uh, their data sets around that so they can later use that or on sell that to other other cyber criminals we've seen those types of activities as well so you know look it's it, they're quite um, they're quite vast uh, they're quite creative um, they come up with a whole range of different uh, activities and scams and they're very quick to adopt new technologies and capabilities as they come online so um, so they, they'll they'll look at um, how they can sort of leverage um, a whole range of different capabilities to target different types of activities, undertake some sort of social engineering to be able to target individuals and uh, and and the like. We're seeing things like um, 
you know, their use of social media to identify people in significant positions in organisations and then they start to target them uh, through things like romance scams and the like. Um, they try to ingratiate themselves. They try to focus on um, the interests uh, and and uh, activities that are obviously a passion for the individual. So uh, a lot of work is undertaken around social engineering to try to um, ingratiate themselves and draw people into scams and activities that uh, obviously are going to be to the uh, victim's detriment. So would you say with that being the case that some of these cyber criminals are looking at individuals' social media accounts and the like to try uh, tailor the message to seem legitimate? Quite, quite often uh, they, they do that. And, I mean, you know, there's different types of activities that different groups actually undertake. So, you know, some will, will be very heavy on the social engineering process and, and, and trying to understand the individual. Others will be doing a broad brush approach to try to lure um, new victims in. So it's, it's and, and, and COVID-19 has provided an opportunity to, uh, you know, that generates fear, anxiety and interest in a topic uh, and they try to obviously leverage off that. And we've seen that with the um, the, the face masks and, and, and the whole range of other products that have been provided through that. And, and we've even seen it with some of the aspects around a, a cure for COVID-19. So look, um, you know, just be cautious, be wary, um, take due diligence, uh, your own due diligence and make sure if it sounds too good to be true, it may not be um, and you should be okay. Keep your keep your firewalls up, keep your, um, and your, your, um, your scanning stuff on your computer with, the, with your Nortons and the Kaspersky's and the like, so your antivirus stuff, keep that up to date. But, uh, you know, obviously be conscious of anything that sort of hits your desks that you really didn't call upon or you, it's from an unfamiliar location. So, Okay, well, um, yeah, that's certainly something to keep out, uh, keep, keep ensure you do um, one for yourself. And uh, with the COVID um, situation now having been in place for, for some for a fair while now, it's, as we mentioned earlier, it was declared a pandemic in March. What can you say has evolved as far as um, protective mechanisms being implemented by uh, by tech firms and, and, and monitoring such as by Interpol, uh, as well as um, what the cyber criminals have done uh, to sort of reconfigure their approach if, if they're not being as successful as they'd like? Well, look, I think um, well, I'll talk about Interpol, really. We've set up a new capability called Cyber Threat Response, uh, and that primary is looking at the threats and the issues that we're seeing across, uh, I guess, the the, uh, the ecosystem that is the virtual ecosystem, which is obviously the internet. Uh, we've obviously built uh, a capability now that we're sort of actually growing and developing. We, we, we sort of launched this uh primarily around February this year and obviously COVID sort of started to, well, COVID was around then, but it really started to emerge into the end of March and obviously the declaration of the pandemic and the like. Yeah, we've provided um, a range of different services that we haven't provided before in the threat response capability. Uh, we're actually working um, with a range of different uh, private-public partners, uh, and we've got some key private-public partners within Interpol that we work with. We're task-forcing a lot now with uh, these private-public partners to actually look at a remediation on hospitals uh, um, and critical infrastructure. So that was a function that we didn't historically do, but we provide that service 
for a number of hospitals that have been dealing with COVID-19 in member countries. Uh, we're also ra ramping up and extending our cybercrime operations capability, and I'm very privileged to head up that capability as well. Uh, and we've seen a, a vast increase of operations, some linked to COVID-19, but others trying to really target the organised crime that's sitting behind uh, this type of criminal behaviour. So uh, we're hoping to sort of uh, demonstrate that uh, we can be effective, we can work uh, collaboratively and collectively with our member countries as well as our private public partners to get some very positive and 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 uh, and, and consistent outcomes around the cyber crime. But it also takes everyone. Uh, really, it's really important that everyone's conscious of these issues when they see. Uh, when they see scams, that they do report them to law enforcement agencies. I know there's been some frustrations that have been perceived by uh, of victims of cybercrime in the past, but that doesn't mean that we just don't try to report and continue to try to report these issues so that they do become known, people do become aware, and we can actually start to sort of look at opportunities to try to interdict and take action. Australia is very much committed to the cybercrime issues. Um, the federal government's obviously announced a raft of, of activities that they want to do to enhance their cybercrime capability and a lot of the agencies now have uh, supplementary funds to be able to do more around cybercrime. So we're hoping that Australia obviously, um, Australia continues to do what they do and build on what they've done and obviously Interpol is trying to provide a more global response and working with all our 194 member countries to make a difference. So that's, I guess that's an Interpol perspective. You know, from a private sector's perspective, there there is a lot of activity. Private sector bring a capability to the problem set that generally aren't seen in law enforcement. Uh, and, and this, we have to start to look at partnerships. We have to start to work together. You know, my tagline is together we make a difference. Uh, we've got to try to work through the challenges that exist between government, law enforcement and private sector and start to actually collaborate, coordinate and, and, and work through these issues. We're currently in discussions with a number of private sector companies as well as other international organisations to look at preventative measures around the internets, things that can shut down vulnerabilities that are exploited by cyber criminals. And one of those activities is looking at currently at the DNS issues uh, that have been exploited for DDoS and other types of attacks. So we're working through those challenges with other organisations, private sector companies, to try to come up with some preventative measures, obviously, as well as trying to look at um, the, the responsive type activities that, uh, that we're currently undertaking as well. So, so I guess um, for us, you know, we, we're always going to be challenged around um, national jurisdiction, uh, particularly for, for a crime type that is global. It uh, doesn't, uh, obviously, you know, t uh, an offender can be in one country, they're attacking victims in another, or a range in other countries, they're using infrastructure in a third country and they're funneling um, funds through a fourth country. So all this, this diverse activity presents challenges for national law enforcement agencies or, or country-specific agencies or in Australia, the states, um, to actually un, un, uh, unweave this web of activities and, and complexity around a global crime type. And I think what uh, nations have to start to think to do and what we're trying to do is try to get a consistency in, in, in legal frameworks so that it enables uh, law enforcement to be able to better police 
these types of activities and respond to these types of activities as they emerge. So Interpol is trying to facilitate those discussions. We're trying to work with all our member countries to be a lot more um, a lot more involved. And obviously our private sector is the other key component that we're very keen to uh, obviously partner with, uh, look at opportunities to extend our capabilities and leverage off each other to make the, the environment a lot safer than, than it currently is. So that's, that's, that's really been our focus. Okay, well, well that's fantastic. And, and, and as far as the criminals are concerned, have they been able to, uh, I guess with this renewed, all this increased focus uh, from, from yourselves and, and private, the private sector, is it making it harder for uh, cyber criminals to, to get, get their desired goals? Well, I think, um, you know, I don't think we're in a position to be able to say that we've, we're successful yet. Um, you know, cybercrime is relatively a low-entry crime type. Um, you know, to date, detection rates have been quite low um, and, and the returns are quite high, which obviously makes it quite beneficial for um, criminals to obviously uh, use it and exploit it. Uh, what we're trying to do is start to try to level the playing field, but this is a concerted effort. It's a, it's very much a campaign, um, and it's something that we're going to be tackling with and dealing with uh, well into the future. Um, for us, you know, cyber crime is the new volume crime. Um, you know, as a young police officer in Victoria, it used to be the house burglaries and, and the petty thefts. You know, cyber crime is now uh, the, the volume crime that we're seeing globally, and, and law enforcement has to come together with a range of different partner agencies to actually start to sort of stem the tide and actually start to get back on a more positive footing. So, you know, it's a work in progress. Uh, we're, we're far from um, claiming success. Mm. And, and, and you referred to hospitals um, in, within your previous responses as, as being targets. And, and last year, Interpol warned of our ransomware attacks being made at, towards hospitals. What can, uh, how do you define ransomware um, and, what does it, yeah, what, and what's its application? Sure. Uh, look, uh, ransomware is a, a, a specific type of code that uh, encrypts uh, the critical files uh, within an organisation and then they seek uh, the payment of a ransom generally in, in one of the cryptocurrencies uh, um, for the, the passcode to have that, uh, that data unreleased. But it's, it's, it's part of a staged process. Uh, so what happens is uh, groups, and uh, it may be a number of different groups, there might be different groups that do each component, will look at how they can penetrate a, a network They'll, they, they'll try to steal some information. They use that as part of the ransom process, and then they try to install the ransomware to encrypt the data files of that organisation. And you would have seen some high-profile cases of late uh, reported in the media that have, uh, of organisations that have been targeted to ransomware. So it's, it's a global phenomenon. Uh, there's a lot of work going on around the ransomware piece, a lot of work around uh, decrypting uh, the 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 encrypted files uh, so there's been some success in relation to those uh, you know we obviously encourage not the payment of uh, not to pay ransomware because that just exacerbates the issues uh, when they get 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 money once they'll continue and continue and continue to do that uh, so for us it's more around uh, trying to work through those challenges with the hospital concerned um, the the ransomware attack 
uh, hadn't been deployed, but we were able to stop the deployment of the ransomware during the exploitation phase of that network. So uh, that was a, a positive outcome. We were able to, uh, I guess, prevent a, a, a bit of a catastrophe for that country. But for us, it's, um, it's actually working with our private sector companies and uh, these high-end engineers that actually start to work through how to, um, how to tackle the code uh, and how we can exploit and uh, how we can get back uh, and recover those types of activities. So we're very fortunate to have a very close private-public partner on that on that activity to uh, be able to get that back up to speed. But um, it's it's amazing how many systems a hospital has, and I think there was a, a, a multitude of different systems that had to be cleansed and uh, and, and sanitised uh, before we could get them back online. So. Mm. Oh wow! So. Uh, are, are businesses of, of a large scale the only ones being targeted, or also smaller businesses attracting the attention of cyber criminals in in the case of ransomware? Well, they're looking for maximum bang for buck, you know. So the bigger the business, the more potential ransoms. So, um, you know, we've seen uh, we've seen some big businesses of late uh, being targeted um, and uh, they've been breached. And sometimes the breach has been, uh, you know, through clicking a link on an email by one user, and and it's been able to um, get some um, some adverse code into the systems of that organisation, and then they start to exploit from there. So, um, you know, really, for organisations' perspective, uh, you know, our biggest vulnerability, unfortunately, are people, um, and we need to sort of work with our people just to make sure that there's there's systems and processes in place. That uh, you know, obviously, um, the, the systems and procedures of an organisation support, uh, I guess, some of the activities and vulnerabilities that the human factor sometimes presents. Because it might not be a deliberate; it might be an inadvertent click uh, that might cause, uh, obviously, the problems that organisations do suffer. So, mm. yeah, I can imagine um, that that those repercussions can be severe. So, if we look at um us now in our current climate, many of us are working from home or studying from home. What uh, tips can you give um, all of us as far as making sure we're cyber safe um, doing uh, our thing at home? Sure. Look, uh, keep your uh, virus uh, things up to date. Um, you know, a lot of Windows and other platforms, you know, patch up your systems, make sure your vulnerabilities are up to date. Um Look again. Don't don't uh, when you get emails from various people. Don't click through on emails if you're not sure what you're clicking through. Um, hover the mouse over hyperlinks just to make sure it's the same. A hyperlink, for example, if it is something that you are interested in, and just be diligent and always on guard. Um, you know, and and if it as I said, if it sounds too good. Or if it uh, if if it's offering something for you that uh, that's 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 obviously um, for free or not, uh, just be just be conscious and cautious uh, at all times on online. So I think that's the safest one. Yeah. I mean, um, you just don't want your systems um, and and don't give out information unless uh, you need to give out that information. Be conscious of the fact that your information, your privacy is is yours, and uh, and and don't give it away for nothing. Yeah, well, um, that, that's terrific advice. And as far as um, a lot of us are concerned, we tend to have the attitude, oh, well, I'll never be the one that gets scammed. And then one day it happens and you think to yourself, how did I, uh, you know, let this person do that? Or, or why did I click yes or click through that link? 
if there's one piece of advice you could give, I know you've given several, uh, what would be the, the, the main one uh, if you were to um, communicate that to us right now? Yeah, it's, a, it's a, a very, very, very good question. The reality is we're exposed to all kinds of malware and cyber threats, and they're basically knocking on our virtual door all the time. You know, In 2018, a single malware attack cost more than $2.6 million. Uh, so, you know, so cyber crime's costing, you know, it's estimated around about $6 trillion globally at the moment. So really what we're trying to do is just be vigilant, just try to, you know, be conscious of those issues. And I'll just reaffirm that, you know, try to stay safe at all times in the cyberspace and and uh, and don't be a victim. Mm. All right. Yeah, well, we'll certainly do our best uh, in that regard. Well, it's been terrific to chat with you today, Doug. Um, you've certainly given us a, a great insight into uh, the world of um, criminal activity online and certainly with respect to it uh, from a global perspective because I guess we live in our own worlds, in, in, in our own surroundings and, and do um, get exposed to certain elements of um, criminal activity. But I guess when you can, when you can I guess, place that uh, across uh, uh, 194 countries, as you said, that this is an application that takes place everywhere, then uh, it really puts into perspective how uh, rampant uh, this type of criminal activity is. It is. And look, uh, you, you know, Victoria is very lucky. They've got a fantastic police service. And, and to my former colleagues at Victoria Police, they, 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 they'll go out of their way to try to do the right thing for uh, Victorians. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's important that, uh, you know, you do report these issues through to them so that at least have a chance to be able to respond. So, And to all my friends and family in Victoria, I hope that everything's going well. I know you're having a bit of a torrid time at the moment. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're here to support you from a cybercrime perspective here at Interpol in Singapore. Fantastic. Well, thank you uh, once again for, uh, for chatting to us. And, uh, and, and, yeah, all the best with uh, all the work you're doing out in Singapore and, uh, and to the team at Interpol. No worries. Thanks so much. A very insightful conversation with Doug Witchie of Interpol. It's great to learn about the work Interpol is doing in the world of cybercrime protection and how we can all protect ourselves from cyber criminals. Part two of our Cybercrime Focus follows, where we speak with Professor Yang Shang of Swinburne University of Technology to further explore the world of cybercrime. Thanks for listening to the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 